literally, physically, uh, a man would ask across the circle, hey, boys, and can you raise your head? Because the physical, the embodiment of that, trying to do that work for me, had me with my head down, had me looking at the ground, had me hiding my eyes from from being able to look up and, and face the men that I was sitting with. And, you know, I'll translate that to face my children, translate that to face my wife, translate that to face the people that I work with in, uh, in an authentic way. This episode, we're talking with Boyson Hodgson of the Mankind Project. This is Remaking Manhood, the Healthy Masculinity Podcast. I'm Mark Green. And I'm Charles Matthews. Join us for powerful conversations with the men and women leading the healthy masculinity movement. For generations, our culture has taught us a narrow and limiting set of rules for how to be a man. The end result? Epidemic levels of isolation and violence for boys and men, and for the multitude of others whose lives we impact. But we can make a different choice. We can choose a masculinity of connection and in return have healthier relationships, more meaningful lives, and maybe even live longer. Every episode, you'll hear honest conversations designed to show you what breaking out of the man box can look like and feel like. Welcome to Remaking Manhood. We're glad you're here. Today, we're talking with Boyson Hodgson, who is the Communications and Marketing Director for the Mankind Project, one of the most significant uh, men's work organizations globally. Uh, Boyson uh, was after me for years to come do a Mankind Project Warrior Weekend, and consistently, I was like, no, uh, thanks, Boyson, but that's not for me, and I'm not going to do that, and mm mm-mm. But ultimately, he stayed stayed on me about it, and I did, in fact, decide to go and begin doing that that work. After years of writing and speaking on masculinity, I finally decided to take a look at my own, you know, challenges and trauma around uh, what had gone on in my life. And this internal look at what's been going on for us as men is something that most of us avoid like the plague. I know I made every attempt to avoid it, but when I finally began doing this work, it was pretty transformational for me. And uh, so we'll just drop you into the middle of this conversation with Boyson, where he shares not only the work that he does, but also how it has shown up in his own life. Thanks for joining us. One of the things we've been that keeps coming up in terms of language is this idea of, of getting men to make, make that jump, make that jump from disconnection to connection. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you, Boyson, because you've in your work with Mankind Project, I mean, you've, you've probably seen literally hundreds, I don't know, maybe thousands of men, you know, sort of in the process of making that leap. And of course, you must have, you know, you must have made the leap or, or like the rest of us, you're kind of making the leap over and over again, you know, every day and just kind of curious and like really curious about what, what you're seeing. And, and one of my one of my first mentors in the work back in the early 2000s, um, Will Flanders, who was also the officiant at my wedding to my wife, um, Will said the point, he said this in group a lot, like the point that we're trying to get you to here is the point where you know you can never go back to the way it was. Yeah. Hmm. The tipping point. Right. Where... And there was a recognition that I, I used to go back and forth to men's group um, with Rob Zeller, 
my bestest buddy and it was a 40 minute drive. And I remember having long conversations with, with Rob where we recognized it was like, holy shit. I can't imagine ever choosing to go back to the way that I felt before. Like I can't imagine Mm -hmm. what it would be like to feel that disconnected and alone again. Mm. Wow. Wow. And, and I think that that is the process that, that I'm, you know, that I watch men go through and it can take, you know, some guys it's, it's one meeting and, and they're in, they've been ready to hit that tipping point, as you said, Mark. And there are guys for me, you know, it took me quite a while to get there because the depth of my shame and the depth of my willingness to hide what I was actually experiencing from myself and from everybody around me mm-hmm. was profound. Mm. Like I had to be, they had to love the shame out of me for a long time before I could show up and, you know, the, the um, literally physically uh, a man would ask across the circle, Hey boys, and can you raise your head? Mm. Because the physic, the embodiment of that, trying to do that work for me, had me with my head down, had me looking at the ground, had me hiding my eyes from, from being able to look up and, and face the men that I was sitting with. And, you know, I'll translate that to face my children, translate that to face my wife, translate that to face the people that I work with in, uh, in an authentic way. Man, you know, I can, I can. I can feel what you're describing and I cannot name it. I cannot name what it is that makes it hard to look. I don't know if it's, um, if it's bringing up old trauma that I can't permit myself to acknowledge. I don't know. It's so complex that, that, that can't look up from the floor moment. It's still, it still shows up sometimes for me when I've, Sure. When I picked a fight I shouldn't have picked, when I vented anger at someone who was essentially didn't deserve that yeah. and who is calling me out for it, saying, yeah. hey, what, you know, come on. And in the moment that 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 that, that I feel that my inability to name, it must be just a mix of different things, I, but it's so hard to name it. And I find naming it helps me to, you know, see it coming the next time. But I still feel that sometimes, boys, and I still feel that intense inability to be the person I just was. I just, I just did a version of me that I now have to own, and I don't want to do it. I don't want. I don't want to. I, so I, I'd rather just walk away. Go, eh, you know, can we forget this argument happened? And and that <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah. comes up. That stuff still comes up for me as a as a as a embodied sense of nausea and revulsion and ah cool i mean (laughs) like the sensations yeah your nausea and revulsion is cool i love it yeah it's self it's that nausea and revulsion that deep in the belly it's disgust right it's It's the soul it's like your soul is nauseated right and you can't you cannot you cannot I, i almost can't I don't, I don't have a way to make that part of me like that's No, no, that's not part of me. That's not me. Oh, right. no, no, no. And, 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 there, and I look around and I realize, wait a minute, 
it's in it's here nope that's me and and how did that get here and what does that mean and and i see just layers and layers of trauma and disconnection and my and my use of anger as a way to manage that like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the and you know i talk sometimes about how i would often one of the ways out of shame is righteousness for sure yeah and 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 the other one was victimhood i would use this victimhood narrative i would literally say to someone that i'd just done something unfair to um that i'm sorry i don't have the capacity to handle this right now because i suck because i'm a terrible person so i'm just gonna take the hostage which in those cases is me and i'm gonna start beating the shit out of him until you back off until you say oh sorry um we'll talk about this another time oh yeah that's a great one and in that moment i have just done the most violence i possibly can to someone else because i've silenced them i've 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 told them that the person they care about is has no value I mean, I've done a bunch of things simultaneously that are just catastrophic. And I gave that one of the things that that I got from MKP was um, I stopped saying I'm sorry and started saying what I was going to do different. But Hmm. I don't that that I'm sorry doesn't pop out anymore. I go, no, that's not (laughs) I'm sorry isn't helpful. This is what I will do differently is helpful. Welcome to the new podcast, Toxic Male Coping Strategies with Charles, Mark and Boyson. Where you will learn <laughs> how to take hostages. How to vent, that's right, how to vent your anger. In how a, to take hostages. I think that's awesome. Yeah, so, Boyson, was your, was the, was, is the shame that you were feeling then, was it... Because I'm actually not as familiar with that particular reaction. That doesn't... I don't remember that showing up for me exactly in that way. But was it shame about how you had been disconnected? Or shame about wanting to be connected? you know, a shame about wanting to be open and vulnerable or a shame that you hadn't been open and vulnerable or a mix of both? Yeah. Well, I I think it's a mix of those two things. And, and when I dip back into what that experience of waking up was like, um, the shame that I was carrying was, was I fundamentally believed that something in me was broken and completely unlovable. Yeah. Mm. And and digging into uh, digging into accountability, digging into taking responsibility for what I had been in the world, choices that I had made in the world, how I had set myself up in the world, I didn't want anybody to see that. Yeah. I, not myself, not anyone else. So getting to a point in that what you said in that defiance thing, getting to a point where, because I I could look at you in the eye with my chin jutted out. I could fuck you, look you in the eye aggressively. Mm -hmm. You know, I could do that, but it was getting to a point where I could exist not with my head held low and not with my chin in the air to look at you softly and just say, here I am. Hmm. Here I am. This is what I've done. This is how I've created my life. This is what I feel. And, and, and all the, you know, the ugly, the ugly, I never wanted to admit that I, that, that I did hurt people. I didn't want to admit that I hurt people. I didn't want to admit that I, that I created all the bullshit in my life. I didn't want to admit, um, 
the feelings of in, of inadequacy because I had perfected my mask so well that you know it was like impenetrable. So, Boyson, the the all these strategies you just named, all these things you just named about what you do, what you did, what you didn't want to admit to. Yeah, I struggle to look further back and understand what about the world made you have to take those on. Mm. I'm curious to hear your thoughts about that. That's great. Um, and it, that's, you know, very apropos to the work of, of MKP too, with, I did what I did. I made the choices that I made because I thought that was the way that I would survive. I did what I did to survive. Yeah. I did what, you know, and f my personal story was like a lot of the stuff I was processing was around relationship relationship to women and the relationship that I had been in and relationship to my but how that reflected on my parents and my father and who I was raised to be never fucking admit you were wrong mm. no matter how shitty you were wow don't admit you were wrong and I took that on right so that that kind of self-protection I did what I did to survive in the way in the only way that i believed i had access to you know as a little kid this is what i learned to do and you know how to how to successfully become a traitor to all the things that you took on as oaths when you were a little boy yeah that's the path of men's work you know you're gonna have to become a traitor to all of those packs that you took Un, unrecognized, unwritten, unspoken packs that, it, that I took with my father, that I took with my mother, that I took with the people I interacted with. We will silently agree that this is how the world works, even though it causes us all pain. It's so amazing that th clearly there are different conduits through which we, we arrive at disconnection. And yours, yeah. yours was keep, keep blustering the confidence thing and play by the rules that play by you know, the rules mine was boy. mine was utter i mean an utter collapse into no self-esteem none whatsoever in fact when i was 17 18 years old um when i was 18 and, and left my parents house when they said you graduated high school go um i didn't go to college i didn't do any of that i i went and got a job bussing tables in austin texas and and drank a gallon of wine every night. And I did that for a year. And all I could think of, and in total isolation, more or less, mm -hmm. me and the dishwashing mm -hmm. machine and then the gallon of wine every night, which I took from the storeroom of the restaurant. And then I'd yep. get up the next morning at, you know, or the next day at noon and go back to the, and, do, and I, I, all I could do if I ever got within five feet of a woman was talk about what, what a loser I was over and over and over and over and i mean i did this from the time i was 16 till i was maybe maybe 19 20. i just talked i just had to vomit that up it just kept coming out of me all the time 24 7. and mm -hmm. and and that was like a just a, a, a i don't know what i was trying to get out of my system but eventually i i finished i finished doing that but so many masculinity extremists out there today incels and those people are are locked into that loop of i'm crap and and then they direct uh, their anger at women 
but but this is another conduit i would say it's another this this utterly crushed self-esteem which i i believe came out of just no one no one spoke to me in my family no we never Mm. talked about anything there was Mm. no conversation there was just physical punishment or whatever but it's fascinating. I, I wonder how many conduits there are. Charles, did you have a different, yeah, like a third experience yeah. or? I think so. I mean, I think mine was similar to what, what Boyson talked about in that I made, you know, I made some packs. Um, but it was, you know, when I, when I went back to, you know, to quote unquote, do my work, you know, initially it was like, oh, I was bullied and my dad died when I was 10. That must be the root of it. And it mm. turned out like going, going back further it was a disdainful look that my father gave me. And I can remember specifically one instance of like being seven and trying to cast with a casting rod Mm. next to the Verde river in Arizona and snarling the line in a tree or just making a mess of it. And just, you know, Mm. the look of impatient disdain on his face that may not even have been directed at me. And in fact, I know that his father gave him that look and that look probably goes back generations and one part of my work is to not give that look to my wife or to my nieces and nephews but that Mm. he was my god so if he had decided that i was disdainful then he can't be wrong he's god yeah so therefore there's something wrong with me for sure yes and i need to work like hell to cover up dance around it and live it at the same time. Like there was this weird thing throughout my whole life where I was like trying to not be that kid, trying to not be that disdainful creature. And at the same time, just like self-sabotaging and creating instances where I could be disdainful in order to be my father's son. Mm-hmm. So, you know, letting, letting go of that script mm. to find a way to be free. Like who the hell am I really? Mm-hmm. Am I the disdainful son? Am I the golden boy? Because that was the other label that I got. I was the golden boy. And can I stop vacillating between those two poles of existence and find an authentic an, an, an authenticity and, and, a, and a freedom to just to just be an occasional fuck up who also is occasionally brilliant hmm. sometimes at the same time and, and kind of be able to laugh at both of those things and God, not make a big how? deal of them. What a relaxing frame that would be, (laughs) you know, I mean, that would be like freedom, right? I can screw up sometimes. Other times I do pretty well. I'm me, you know, imagine that. Yeah. And Charles, I have a question for you. Did you, was part of your work having to do that work without your father in the world? You couldn't know him as an adult male. You couldn't. Yeah. We were kind of stuck. You know, there was no evolution to that relationship. So there was, it was kind of frozen in time. So he was God. Yeah. 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 The way we would know our father as a 10 year old really does. If it stops right there, if that's the end of it, then I cannot. I knew my father till he was 90 and I got to know him as an adult and I got to work through. My father left when I was seven and went to went to the Middle East. You know, my Mm -hmm. parents got divorced. He disappeared. So for a number of years, I had that that same experience. He was just gone. There was no. Yeah. There were no trunk calls from Beirut, Lebanon, you know, it wasn't. So he was gone and it, and I missed him so much that I, I, I literally all I could think of is that this new household that I was in with a different stepfather and a mother and they were not emotionally connecting at all. And my father, very warm, 
connecting fellow for all of his his possible faults. Um, I used to lay there and think this is I'm going to have to go through this for and I do the math uh, nine more years. I'm going to have to be in this house and wow. I don't think I can make it. I don't think I'm going to make it on this thin gruel of disconnection and no communication and nothing. No one hugs me. No one holds me. No one talks to me. No one wants to hear. And I just would mm. count the years and think I and, and when I got out of there, I I drank a bottle of wine every freaking night just just to be free of the uh, of that sense of um being trapped you know being trapped and then and this is where i would turn to the next man in the circle and say and what was it like to be you yeah uh-huh. and and we've all got it yeah like we've all got those stories yeah so men's work is a place where you can actually tell it yeah, you can actually tell the damn story, whatever it is. Yeah, boys, and what given that given that your body didn't want to look up at those other men in the circle, why did you keep going? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> why the hell did I keep going? Oh shit! I, I'm checking out. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the end, not only of this podcast episode, but this podcast. Your your head's your head's down a little bit right now, actually. (laughs) Uh, That's that's great, Um, because I I like other. uh, Well, I believe it's universal, but I long for connection. I long Mm. for that connection. Mm. I longed for that. I I longed for. I was stubbornly persistent about uh, revealing. Uh, about my self-revelation. Yes. I wanted yeah. to know myself. Yeah. And I wanted others to know me. Mm. And and I also, you know, during that period of time, it was also like I was in a, a six, six months into the relation, relationship with Kendra, who's now my wife of 15 and a half years. And I was already starting to see myself repeat patterns that I had been repeating in every single relationship I had been in in my entire life. Wow. And I, I was fucking tired of it. Mm. And the, you know, I talk about evolution, evolution, personal evolution, cultural evolution, and we evolve because the pain of the environment gets hot enough to mutate us. Right. Yeah. Some, something mutates inside because it can't stay the way it's been anymore. Yeah. And, um, and this is, it's age old. It's, you know, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. It's nothing new here. Yeah. <laughs> nothing new here at all. This is that it's thousands and thousands of years old, this conversation. But I think that Mark, you know, your work, has really illuminated this even further. And how I've been framing this is like, this is masculinity marketing. You know, the last hundred years, last 150 years, it's the golden age of marketing. We have perfected propaganda through marketing. Yeah. So it's so hard to escape from the trap of believing that what we see reflected to us in stories out there through marketing 
through media and through marketing and through all the downstream of that, it's so hard to break from that. So hard to get out of that system. I am. Um, you were talking about this uh, tipping point. Uh, we all yeah. were talking about tipping point earlier. I think that one of the things that I have determined in my own parenting life is that if we stay in connection and communication with our children long enough, if we keep them from buying into this idea, especially our sons, from this idea that, oh, I don't show my emotions because that's not what real men do, which is part of that whole marketing campaign you're talking about. Yep. If we stay in connection and, and if we express emotionally to them and they express back to us, we, we relate in that relational space, we share and create emotions. Um, the process that we're talking about is how to create a container, a container that's big enough mm -hmm. that our children can explore the full process of being human. They hit that tipping point very early in life. Me, I didn't get to hit that tipping point. I got shut down on it, right? Which is what most men get. That's yeah. that's what boyhood is. It's the stripping away of that joyful connection and getting it replaced with this sort of stoic, emotional, you know, I play by the rules, disconnected man. But if you can do it with your kids and they hit that tipping point, they say, no way I'm going, going for this caricature of masculinity that this culture is offering me. That's that's horrible. I don't want that. And if we can get more of our sons there early in life, they don't have to do this same process that we're talking about, which is to try and undo all the pacts we made, not only with our fathers or other men, but with the rules, the culture. rules of the culture, right? The larger rules. Don't don't show your emotions. Always have control. Always make a lot of money. Don't be a caregiver have control over women and girls, be heterosexual, not homosexual, all the laws of masculinity to be a real right. man, quote unquote. Right. That tipping point is crucial and we can give it to our children early or they can go and suffer until they realize, I, I don't want this. And that, and sadly, a lot of men um, don't actually get to that point of the pain being enough for them to begin to ask questions. Some of them actually just commit suicide. Yes. But many men age to the point where they can't do all these tasks that Manbox asks of us. And, mm -hmm. and they crash, they collapse, their marriages fail, they lose their jobs, and they can't find another one. They, all these terrible things begin to happen that normally we would then turn to our community of male friends and say, I'm going through this. Can you give me some support? Right. And those friends show up and they're like, brother, I'm here to help you. Here's I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I'll help you get this, get the work done you need to do. I'm going to help you, uh, you know, come over, join our family, eat, be with us. Let's meet community around this challenge you're facing. And uh, and, and but we don't have that. No, and yeah. I want to I kind of go to talk about the just real quick, the story that that Jose Alejandro talked about in the interview we did with him, that yeah. his friend, he he did go to his friends, essentially. And his friends at the time, their their way of loving him was to help him get back into the man box. Yes. Yeah. Like have That's another drink. Really we're gonna yeah. we're gonna go That's out. Great. We're gonna get yeah. drunk. We're gonna forget about her. You're gonna forget about that pain. And when he talked about it, I you know, I knew that he was kind of disappointed and angry in them, but but I also just saw the love that was being expressed incorrectly, you know, for for, for us. You know, right. incorrectly, but like, oh, that was that was an attempt by, by his friends to take care of him in the only way they knew how. 
So, yeah, I think that's excellent. And again, I learned from Mark Green, microcultures, right? If you don't have if you don't have a microculture around you that will support support that, like I love what you said about how we raise our kids, Mark. And even if Gus is the beautiful boy that he is, if you threw him into a microculture where there was nobody else willing to connect with him on that level, mm-hmm. he'd learn to shut it down again. He just might, to, he to survive well. in the way that, yeah, in the way that you survive. talked about surviving. Yeah. And he's yeah. already in that microculture and several others. The, yeah. the, the larger culture that we live in, it, it's, we are, we are in, we are in, it, what's, I don't want to say competition or conflict, but we are in a war against a, that's a you, don't, you don't want to say conflict, we're, but you're willing to say yeah, war. Okay, okay. You know what? <laughs> well, I, somehow conflict seems small. Uh, we're in a battle against disconnection. That's what the whole thing comes out as. And, and for me, and, and the, the degree to which men are isolated and alone is driving their tendency to keep doubling down on dominance and violence as a way to validate their masculinity because our current culture of masculinity doesn't care who we are as individuals, doesn't care about our authentic self, doesn't care about any of that. So it, we're in a war on behalf of our children, on behalf of the men in our lives, and on behalf of the women in our lives to, uh, to end this whole narrative about what it means to be a man that, that's driving men to isolation and violence. I'm going to play devil's advocate Go. for a minute because gangs gangs as a microculture are extraordinarily loving are they in their depends on way how you define love depends in on how you their define way love. exactly right so have you seen the proud boys video that was circulating this past week of somebody filmed a little proud boys initiation ritual mm-hmm. in washington dc have you seen yeah, that the punching. Yeah, yeah the punching yeah. ritual right so that's one of their rituals that is love so they get beaten into the gang. Is that is that how that that's works? it's one of their initiations. They have to you get surrounded by a bunch of dudes and you have to recite the names of five breakfast cereals while you're being beaten. Mm-hmm. And it, once you get through the five, they'll stop punching you or kicking you or elbowing you or whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. But the sense of belonging that emerges from that experience is a kind of love. Okay. I would, I would say that what, what you witnessed in that moment was them voluntarily slotting themselves into a hierarchy, a domination hierarchy, right? They have just said, okay, I'm going to name cereals while you punch me, which is I accept that domination is part of the, the family that I'm entering, the structure that I'm entering, and yeah. I'm willing to take abuse in order to belong. Yeah. So in that regard, I would say that that is less about love and more about re-upping on hierarchical masculinity times 10. That is clearly saying violence is not only necessary, but it's necessary as a political tool later when yeah. you operate with us. And to me, Belonging is not the same thing as love and reinforcing our most problematic conditioning is not love. Love would be something very different, which is accepting and understanding how distinctly different we all are and celebrating that in each other. 
right? But that's that's my that's my response to that statement, Boise. Yeah, I uh, you like art? You like the argument? I I mean, it's a different kind of love. I mean, yeah. I hear you saying it's not love. No, belonging is what men. If, if if our culture and our society makes men feel alone, yeah. then belonging in a gang or belonging with the Proud Boys is what we hunger for. Yes. Unfortunately, the Proud Boys don't want to know about our softer, gentler, maybe gender fluid, maybe bisexual, whatever those aspects of ourselves that don't fit their model. We're expected not only to hide that, but to but to abuse others for showing it. And that includes skin color, religious background, immigration status, all of that. Right. So in the moment that we that we belong, we don't bring our full selves to belong. We bring a caricature of ourselves and we begin to perform that over and over and over again. Whenever we get stressed out by not being our full selves, we're invited to do violence. So it, we vent the anxiety of hiding what's likely to be 75% of who we are all the time by doing violence against someone outside the group or inside the group. Um, and it's all driven by violence and re-upping on domination. So that's, your, that's your option. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a way to belong. And a lot of, a lot of people choose it. And, 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 and it can feel amazing. Yes. It can feel amazing. Narcotic. 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 It is, yeah, it's probably more associated with dopamine pathways and adrenaline pathways than it is with like oxytocin and serotonin. You know, it jacks people up. It feels really powerful. You get to feel really, quote unquote, strong. Um, Mm -hmm. But what those guys did is they just downloaded a bunch of violence into somebody that will come out, as Mark says, later. It's like, here's a bunch of of shit. Now go go take that into the streets. It's Um, mandatory. And you get to feel awesome while you do it. Right, it's I love the fact that you just brought out the brought up the hormones and the d- distinctions, right? Serotonin, happy, happy, happy juice. Yeah. Serotonin is lovely, warm. It's a hug. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's love, right? Yeah. Right. Dopamine, fuck you. You can't even touch me, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Adrenaline. Yeah. You know, the those the hormones of 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 tribalism yeah there's something i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna put those down there's some juicy juicy stuff to be had in there but can we create like so here's the bridge right so the bridge too far may be hey 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 buddy you just got beaten hey buddy you just got beaten now come down and sit in the circle with us and talk about your feelings bridge too far yeah so how can we bridge the, the and this is a really a, an inquiry that I'm very interested in for myself and for, you know, for MKP and for men's work in general and for this cultural transformation that we're all part of. It's like, how do we build bridges to say, okay, we can see that. We see the value in that. We experience the value in that. We even want to find ways to experience that ourselves. Right. Like, I'm an adrenaline junkie. Totally love adrenaline. Yeah. Totally love my punching bag. Totally love CrossFit. Totally love like all of that, all of the stuff, the juice that I can get from that. Mm. And how do I, how do I open a door for you? And this is really important because we have to be really clear to men who are listening to this, that we're not trying to feminize men. That's not the leap. 
Mm-hmm. We're not, not trying remote. to get. We're not trying to get all men to be whatever the soft hell that and even passive, means. right? It's right. like yeah, it's not. So you know, Boyson, you know, hitting a punching bag, Boyson turning over tires in the CrossFit yard, is you know part can be part of you know a healthy masculinity. What we're actually talking about is a vast range of potential masculinities, right? There you go. Yeah. Yes. And the Thank idea you. that the idea that you can be a rugby player who drinks your your three beers after the game is just as valid as whatever on the far end of the of the spectrum that might be a fit for for another kind of man. Yeah. And the idea that we don't police each other saying, oh, that's not that. There's a problem with that. Masculinity. Good. Beautiful. The, the fact that yes. we make space for all versions and enjoy knowing people that are different than us. You, you got a different way of doing it. Tell me about that. I like that. And, and this is the cool. thing about that I learned from MKP was it's, it's not, it has nothing to do with whether they do things like I do things. Oh, I want to be with the guys who have my particular nerd thing about, you know, comic books or whatever. We are so judgmental as, as boys and men about who fits for us and who doesn't, nice. that we, we miss the larger picture of how varied we all are and how great it is to not have to make those judgments. For my other podcast, we just interviewed uh, Pete Pearson, who's a, a proponent of engaged Buddhism and, mm. and is part of Zen Peacemakers. And their, their first mm. precept is just not knowing. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's what you start with, just not knowing. And that's really uncomfortable for a lot of us. Yeah. Totally. And I don't know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to think, you know, boys, and I'm imagining, you know, seeing those men on a Mankind Project weekend or even even coming to an open circle and yeah. just and showing up with a place where the rules are very different and much more open. Right. And they're looking around, <laughs> wondering, wondering how to behave or <laughs> if they're doing you know, it right. right. Am I am I doing men's work right? Am I crying? Am I crying correctly right now? Am I opening up the right amount? I mean, I remember. I remember that part. I remember. Am I opening up the right amount? Am I? That's great. Am I I taking up too much time? Am I being too? Am I? Am I learning too quickly in front of everybody else here? I remember. I remember those thoughts in my head. Oh my god! Totally. Let's hold up the mirror about. Hold up the mirror to ourselves about performative about being performative. Yeah. Right. And and that there's a whole nother thing. So you kind of pointed at it, Mark, but. This idea that I that the way that I show up and how it is for me, I'm going to speak for myself about it, and I'm not going to try and impose that, prescribe that, police that in you. But listen and get quiet instead, right? So I'm going to work with myself and be willing to include you in in the circle. So I think that's really I think that's really good. And and a couple of things that I have done and experienced a lot in men's groups on point with that Charles is calling it out right from the beginning for guys who are new to the circle call that out dude this is gonna feel freaking weird you're gonna be looking around the circle and going what the hell is going on here that's okay that's good who else in the circle felt like that the first time they sat here all the hands go up Right. Yeah. Like this is some weird ass shit. (laughs) And and then to bring it back to yeah, it because why why is it why is it marketing? Why is it weird? A new man because it's outside. Yeah, this is weird ass shit. shit. Yeah. Yeah, weird ass shit. Why is it Um, weird? Why is it weird? 
because it's, weird a, about it. it's different. It's a different set of rules as, as we're saying, it's a different set. It's a different understanding of the nature of reality or different understanding of the way that we can play together and be related and be connected. It's a different way of connecting, but be, but, but be not, trying to all look like each other or sound not, like each other. Yeah. Not trying to one up each other, not trying to out compete each other and not trying to, you okay. said policing, right? Not trying to police yeah. each other into a box of being, being I, one specific way. I will say this. I say this all the time. When you go into a room, I don't care if it's every man or, or MKP or, or human or whoever it is, it doesn't matter. When you go into a room full of men who are actually interested in connecting instead yes. of doing that, 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 you know, pecking order, figure out the pecking order, decide who the alpha is and all that shit that we do every time we walk up to a group of men in this world. Right. When you go into a room that's doing that instead, for me, it's like breathing for the first time. And I'm mm -hmm. not sure men know how to breathe until they've tried it a couple of times and go, I'm, really? I can I can get this sense of like like actually breathing. And mm -hmm. in that room, typically what I what I see and hear when I'm in conversations with men is they look around and there's a collective silence. And then somebody says something real. Somebody says something that's real for them. And everyone starts talking because men are ready to have the conversation. They just have never been in a space where it's okay to have it. We you know we all block each other from doing that. That's how we've been trained. And, and I've heard it said many times. Yeah. I go out for two hours with my friends to a bar and we drink a bunch of beers and talk. And I don't know any more about them than, than when the conversation started. I don't know anything about what's going on for them. Right. And this is Mark, the distinction. Mark, right? Mark started this whole zoom call with me like, Charles, how are you? And I was like, no, wait a minute. He's like, no, really? How are you? And I'm like, I am not prepared to answer that question. <laughs> Get out of my face, man. <laughs> Back off. <laughs> Hang on a sec. <laughs> Let me squirt by gotta, using my cat. I'm yeah. just gonna squirt you. Yeah, yeah. What, no, I know. And I know. but isn't the difference that it makes stunning? I live in rare air and so I get I'm working with men across the United States and around the world. And when we get together, you know, one on one or in groups, it's like checking in is like a very important part of how it starts. And when I check in honestly about like what's actually going on with me, even if it's, even if it's simple, even if it's just, you know, I have, you know, I'm definitely facing a lot of grief right now that's coming up just about the state of the world and how things are and being in, in lockdown. And I notice that it, some days it's harder to get up than others. Mm. Yeah. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of that lethargy, right? Just lethargic. Like I've got, I've got eight things I could be doing and I, I don't want to do them. I don't, yeah. I, I just want to, I just want to wait this one out and maybe tomorrow will be better. And, and that kind of, that feeling is not, is not one I'm, I like to admit to, not even to the people who are watching me do it in my house, you know? That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now that we've, now that we've done that and Charles, how are you? I'm befuddled. I'm confused mm. a lot. I feel broadly really I'm scared shitless about this COVID thing and the number of people who don't seem to be responding the same way. Yeah. It makes me feel crazy. Yeah. Here in Arizona. Thank you. And um, 
I don't like feeling crazy. I like feeling like I'm in community. I like, I like, I like it when I feel like everybody's kind of as much as possible on the same page and working together. And I crave that. I crave what it's like. Oh God, you guys, here it comes. I crave what it's like to be rock climbing with somebody else. And we have a goal that we're working on mm, together mm-hmm, or to be mm-hmm. facilitating a group that's going through a ropes course and to see the, the camaraderie and the unity that arises when good ideas come forth. I, I crave uh, you know, rowing a, a, a war canoe uh, in the Pacific Northwest and everybody's paddle hitting the water at the same time and the ripples all merging. I crave that togetherness and that sense of, fuck, man, we can paddle this war canoe all the way over there mm-hmm. and nobody can stop us. We can climb mm-hmm. this mountain together. Because the weight in my backpack is yours, the weight in your backpack is mine. And to be in this culture right now where that's not seemingly true hurts me. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. And so reflecting on all three of us, right? So Charles, you just brought it out beautifully every one of those yeah. images was an embodied image yeah every one of those images was a connection was a human connection was was right paddle weight ocean bodiness mark's lethargy physical yeah. embodied my i don't want to move don't want to get up like embodied and i think so now okay great we've all checked in we can relate to each other we know where we are what's the work that we need to do are we ready to face it and then everybody's like all right i'm here I'm present mm. i didn't go. i didn't know what i wanted i didn't know what i wanted until i checked in poison i didn't know what i was missing that's beautiful Charles. until you asked that's me that's a beautiful thing now you I described kn- now i know now i know what i want now i know so that belonging i know what i'm craving and i you can just find describe it. I can, belonging. I can find it belonging you just you just described belonging charles you described partnering with a group of other human beings to create something belonging a a unified purpose in the paddles hitting the water and this is the attraction that that gangs provide men because what they and and what is what is narcotic about it it, with gangs and with the Proud Boys and that's and and for men who lean that way who feel like that would be a war they could at least feel like they were soldiers in you know some sense of unified purpose yeah is is uh is a difficult one to talk young young men out of it's yes. a difficult one to talk uh, you know when you when you offer connection it seems like a a kind of a weak uh, a weak purpose in life compared to being a soldier, being, you know, a unified purpose in that way. I, so I was talking to a, a, a woman who's an author uh, who writes about white supremacy and how they recruit young men. And um, I, I should I should have her name and her book in my hand, but I don't right now. And she said that that they're trying to figure out ways to talk young men out of to, to keep them from being recruited into right. organizations like the Proud Boys. And, the, and what they discovered w- w- with some research was that a parallel uh, a, or a comparable circumstance was trying to get people to getting young people to eat healthy. And she said, for 30 years, we've been trying to get young people to eat healthier food by telling them how it would help them. 
this will how it'll help your body, how it'll help your point, you know, all this stuff. And it hasn't worked, doesn't work at all. But then somebody got the idea to go into those same conversations and oh, tell yes. young people how they've been manipulated by corporate marketing to eat the crap that they eat. And immediately that began having an effect. And the group that it affected most positively were boys. Yep. So they're now getting ready to release a report. The, the book that she wrote is called um, Hate in the Homeland. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a brand new book. It's just out. Um, uh, the author's name, again, eludes me at the moment. But they're, they're about to release uh, a report from a think tank that she heads up in Washington, D.C. at American University about how to make, how to explain to young boys how they're being manipulated by every aspect of white nationalism and the, and, and the various ways that it gets fed into their information streams and social media and whatnot. And when you tell a boy he's being manipulated, that, you know, they start to think very differently. But if they don't know it and they don't see it, then, and then that's when it has the most powerful effect and begins to look like purpose or begins to look like meaning. Yep. When in fact, it's just manipulation for the, for the, for the use and eventually you'll be disposed of or, or, you know, gotten rid of when you don't serve a purpose anymore for them. Wow. The compulsion of a common enemy is a very powerful compulsion, right? That's, oh, yeah. that's, that's definitely one that we have to struggle with. And, the, and, and it's a tough place to be for, you know, consciousness raising kind of practices and organization because we get to that place where, talking to the Buddhists, right? No enemy. Yeah. 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 Not knowing. Not knowing. Not that knowing. is that, like, I'm going to, it's, it's a tough sell. It's a tough sell. But I don't, <laughs> well, and this is, but this is where hierarchical systems operate, right? That's right. I mean, white males Simple. are at the top of this, this hierarchical system. Yeah. And, and by, by extension, women are less. By extension, people of color are less. By extension, immigrants are less. And, and that gives, gives us, like Lyndon Johnson or somebody, I think it was Lyndon Johnson who said, you know, make a man think he's better than someone else and you can take everything he has. Right. And, and that, that's the manipulation that we're talking about. When, when, when someone tells you you're better than women, the first thing you should do is put your hand in your pocket and cover your wallet because that's where they're headed. Right. <laughs> and, and they're going to take your power and your influence and everything you have, and they're going to trade it. What they're going to trade you for that is the illusion that you're better than other people. When in fact, we're all equally valuable. Yeah. Nice. You know, Boyce, in a little while ago, you, you said three things kind of in a row about uh, it's like something, it's like a whole new reality, it's like a different way of thinking. And I just want to zoom in on that middle one. And, and the it you talked about was like being in connection and, and, and being checked in and all that stuff. Like, it's a different reality. And this, that resonates a lot with me in, in this whole conversation and kind of the motivation for this podcast and the motivation for these conversations about trying to explain what I feel like over, quote unquote, on this side of the, the crevasse, you know, having made the leap and what I feel over here and trying to explain it, trying to telegraph it back or use signal flags or flashing lights or whatever to the other side of the crevasse mm. saying, you know, make the jump. Let me, let me explain what this is like to you over here and to use words like connection and authenticity and freedom and joy and release and, 
sadness and grief. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's making, I don't know if it's, I don't know if those words are making it back across yeah. because it does seem like a different, it does, it does seem like a different reality. And yet, yeah. and yet you're working with Mankind Project where, where for the last, what, 35 years, that's all you guys have been doing has been yep. waving people over. A new way of being for men is one of the common ways that we, we talk about it in, in MKP circles. Not a new way and of I thinking, think not a new way of doing, but a new way of being. A new way of being, new yeah. way of being in the world. And I think there are access points that, that almost every, every person, every man can actually identify with because we can get to them, right? So, you know, if you're a dad, mm. if you're a dad out there, like the first time you held your child, can you put yourself in the experience of what that felt like, you know, or, or your, or maybe it was your grandmother, or maybe it was the day you got married, or maybe, you know, just bring yourself to a place of experiencing that, the, the serotonin rush and the open heartedness and like the, that, that expansive, expansive open interior, right? I can breathe here. That's it. That's the way of being. So it's like, do you want to experience that kind of being more? And can you imagine experiencing that kind of being with men? You know, or that kind of openness with your partner, with you know, whoever that is, uh, more consistently, and to be able to to actually create that in your life rather than wait for extraordinary circumstances outside of you to create that magical space. You mean I, I, have the, I have the power to create that? I have the power to make that happen in my life? Well, I don't know about you, Thomas, <laughs> but, you know, some of us do. There's the <laughs> hierarchy. There's the hierarchy. There's, oh. There it is. There it is. I, uh, you know, what also I think that that is difficult to make men see because when we're in this culture of masculinity, this dominance culture, it, it's been going on in our lives since we were infants. And it's, you know, our mothers, our fathers, our brothers, sisters, yeah, kids right. in the neighborhood, the teachers, the coaches, the, the everyone taught us this. It, it, it's the water we swim in and the air we breathe. We are not conscious of it. Right. It seems like the world, but it's not. It's a jail cell. It's a trap. And it is a trap which we know is a trap because it creates immense levels of, of social isolation for men, loneliness, disconnection. And that disconnection in turn has a health impact of like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. It kills you. You die earlier from it. So to say that this is the world, it's not the world. It is a narrow space in the world that is a trap that, that keeps us constrained and anxious and disconnected and lonely. And so we self-medicate with, with alcohol and sex and making money. And we try to do all these things that validate us. But ultimately, the offer is break out of jail, break out of the man box, That's break that. out of that, that trap that isn't masculinity at all. It's a narrow version of it that isn't, that isn't helping us. Uh, and so if we can get men to understand that how they're being manipulated into that over the course of their lives, it's so big that it's like, I can't step out of my life. No, mm -hmm. it's not your life. It's a, uh, it's a trap. Step out, step out of trap. it. And you'll step into your actual life. You'll step into something much more 
remarkable. And it'll be you. It won't be you playing a caricature. It'll be actually you. Maybe there's the com- maybe there's a there's a, a sense of a common enemy and this goes back into that kind of Zen thing. So if you are spending an inordinate amount of time trying to repress and not feel all the emotions that you've got going on, you're actually just enslaving yourself to them. You're enslaving yourself to all these emotions that you refuse to experience and feel. And, you know, the really wise Buddhas that I have in my life really piss me off because I'll get all in my stuff and being angry and outraged and da 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 da. And they just look me in the eye and laugh. Oh, I see. Yes. <laughs> You're trying nice. to fight what's arising. You can't fight what's arising. Let it arise. You know, stop being slave, a slave to mm. that. And in order to not be a slave to it, you have to be willing to explore it and experience it, be with it. And can I add one more thing? Emotions are the freaking gold at the end of the rainbow. That literally, the idea that emotions are something we have to fucking deal with, they're also the richness. And, the, and I mean, when you laugh, when you give a full-bellied laugh at something, when something surprises you and it's hilarious, that for me is emotions. That is the richness of it, you know? When I see somebody and I'm so glad to see them, that's emotions, you know. What made us human. Yeah. Get them. Get them. Get some of those. Yeah. And everybody can (laughs) everybody can connect around that. When I when I express, you know, even what are the uncomfortable emotions, you know, grief or anger. Yes. So long as I'm able to express them in a way that's clean and is not judgment. And is not neediness. When I'm just able to be like, I'm so fucking sad. Or I'm yep. really fucking angry. Even, you know, even people who are... What a right, gift. They, people are drawn to that. People are that's actually drawn that's to those gift. difficult emotions. Yeah, yeah, that's a gift. Yeah. Boysen, how can people find your organization? How can they reach out and connect with you? Mankindproject.org. Mankindproject.org is the place to go. Or MKPUSA for in the United States. And I'm Boysen Hodgson at Boysen H on Twitter. Charles. Mark, it's been awesome to hang out with you guys. Mm-hmm. Thank Boyson, you. Thanks. Yeah. Thank thanks, you, thanks so much. I learned a, I learned a lot in this uh, in this conversation. This has been Remaking Manhood, the Healthy Masculinity Podcast. You can connect with me and find more of my writing and speaking on the website charlesmatthews.com. That's C H A R L E S M A T H E U S dot com. You can also interact with me and with other men who are working to craft authentic, workable masculinities in the group Redefining Strength on Facebook. You can find me, Mark Green, on most social media platforms at Remaking Manhood. And you can find me at RemakingManhood.com. Dr. Carolyn Heldman has this to say about the Little Me Too book for men. It's a profoundly empathetic guide for men who are navigating a culture that pressures them to bury their humanity. If you'd like to help someone you love break out of the man box, pick up a copy of The Little Me Too Book for Men. It's available at Amazon.com. Just do a search for little hashtag me too book for men. And don't forget the hashtag. And thank you for supporting our work. The theme music for Remaking Manhood was written and performed by my 15-year-old son, Gus Green. If you like what you hear, feel free to search for Gus on most streaming services. Just do a search for Gus 
Green, G-R-E-E-N-E. -E -E.